Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, sitting here with Thomas Patrick Dorian. Deacon Jeff, it's so good to be here with you. I, it's a thrill a minute. That's the most Isn't I've it? ever said at the beginning of the show. <laughs> that is awesome. Have you ever noticed that? I think Jesus is coming. I think something big is going to happen. <laughs> it, is, it is a sign. There's wars and rumors of wars. Uh-oh. And Tom speaks at the beginning of the show. <laughs> and I, we must not forget Ziggy Rodriguez. That's me. Who sits here forever to my left like the goats. Uh, in scripture, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Uh, anyway, Bobo, your beard is like filling out like a goat. I mean, it's, it's oh, getting it's, it's it's big. I'm going for the whole desert father look. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, you're looking good. So uh, we are continuing here in our um, sorrows of Mary, the this beautiful devotion of the seven sorrows of Mary, and we're going through each one of the sorrows, and and certainly this is number six that we are talking about today and um if if you uh haven't heard these and this you're like going what did that what did i miss you need to uh, go to the website and uh, and check it out you can also hear it uh on the uh, audio on demand app on ewtn i, I believe they keep like the latest the most recent five so you you should be able to uh hear them if you go right now you know <laughs> before they load before they load the, the six great feedback on that yeah uh, in fact i got an email uh, from the, now, the, y- y'all don't laugh. Uh, from Grandpa Jeff and Grandma Susan. That's oh, I love it. That's yeah, awesome. so Grandpa Jeff and Grandma Susan. That's sent, how they titled that. Yes, yes. So, so it's awesome. And, yeah. Well, hello, hello, Grandpa Jeff and Grandma Susan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and and I'm so uh, honored that they would write us in here. And you know, when I first saw that, I thought Grandpa Jeff. You know, Could I'm a gra- I'm a grandfather, and my name is Jeff. And I thought. And then I realized you thought you wrote yourself an email. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Grand Deacon. Which this it wouldn't be the first time, <laughs> but 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 yeah. But see, uh, you know, when we were going around a table one time, when I, my granddaughter was first uh, about to be born, and everyone was talking about like, well, what are you going to be called? And there were several grandfathers there at the table, you know, and they were going around the, this this table, and I said, Grand Deacon, and they and they all laughed at me, and I'm, I looked at them, I said like. Okay, so y'all go tell me what you're called. And there was like Peepaw and Poopaw and all these <laughs> Papaw and all these names that were like these ridiculously childish things, which are beautiful, by was, the way. Was, was right. Blade Master taken? No, yes, exactly. <laughs> but I thought Grand Deacon has an air of like, you know, there's like there's going to be an angelic sea sung by yeah. the choirs of angels. Whatever you say, Grand Deacon. Yeah. So, that, so you're Grand. De- you're not Grandpa Jeff within the family. You're Grand. No, Deacon. I am Grand Deacon, and that's okay. See, uh, see, I thought when I heard this, I thought it, the, the song "I Am My Own Grandpa" would be appropriate for this moment. Well, so, uh, <laughs> I, but I am. I'm thrilled that Grandpa Jeff and Grandma Susan would uh, would write us. Uh, they say, "Hope all is well." We live in Hickory Creek, Texas. Um, by the way, a subsequent email tells me that they're. Uh, it's a tiny little, the size of a Texas postage stamp. <laughs> So it's you know not not huge, right? Okay. Uh, and we are we are very though. much enjoying listening to y'all's. I love Texas series on the Seven Stars of Mary via the Guadalupe Radio Network. I believe they listen to ninety point one uh, wherever uh, Hickory Creek, Texas is. 
Um, uh, and uh, one thing that came to mind was that Joseph must have experienced some of the same type of sorrows that his wife Mary did, albeit from a husband and earthly father perspective. If so, can't, one can surmise that Joseph's trepidations experienced at the presentation and during the flight into Egypt certainly could have been shared with Mary during their family's journey through life, i.e. husbands do talk to their wives at times. Although I will point out that Joseph never says a word in Scripture. He's pretty quiet, that's true. <laughs> Thus, the degree of Joseph's own worries and concerns that he shared with Mary may have helped exacerbate the overall depth of Mary's seven sorrows. Just a thought. Thanks for a great broadcast, and we wish you and your cohorts many blessings prayerfully yours grandpa jeff and grandma susan uh, i got permission to to read their email and, I, and I, it's an interesting point that the seven sorrows of mary may become a little even more profoundly sorrowful because she's experienced that in the holy family oh yeah right now we know theologically that um that joseph wouldn't have been present Right during this latter part of Jesus's life, yeah, the fourth through seventh, uh, he he would not have been present. But yeah. those first, but those first three, yeah, uh, he was present. And 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 uh, Grandpa Jeff points this out uh, uh, that early on. So in that in that setting, yeah, I I think that Mary doesn't like stop thinking about Joseph when he died. Sure, and I think another thing that so on one hand. It is a teaching of the church that the Immaculate Heart of Mary has a special status. There's a level of, of hyperdulia is the veneration due to our Blessed Mother uniquely. And the pure heart of Joseph is worthy of veneration. And Joseph, of course, is worthy of veneration. He's our, he's our, the, the, our father, uh, our adopted father as well uh, in the faith. But, you know, it is different, his heart and the veneration that we give his heart versus the veneration we give her heart. However... It is an important point that by the sacred bonds of matrimony, there is a, a union between their hearts during the first three sorrows, uh, and it would be at that point uh, there would be a, a shared sorrow within the, 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 the hidden life of their marriage. Right, but even yeah. but even so, um, ultimately, uh, if if Joseph is in the abode of the ade- of the dead, right. right, and we would know that he would be in heaven now because we we know he's Saint Joseph, yeah, um, and so there there would be a moment of uh, perhaps in the uh, in those three days where Jesus goes and uh, basically uh, ransom the souls from the abode of the dead, oh, yeah. right after his death, so that there would be sort of a reuniting, uh, and 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 Joseph would be. Uh, at that point, sharing in that victory. It's, you know, one of the scriptures that we're going to read uh, talks about how the saints were raised from their tombs and walked around during that time. It's reasonable to believe that Joseph might have been one of those saints. They don't name any of the saints, but that would be a beautiful way for God to console his mother, for her to be able to have some time with Joseph uh, in that form. Who knows? That may, uh, but, that may have happened. But who knows? But there's no record of it in scripture. I don't think it's a, a bad thing for anybody to go there. Prayerfully, but in terms of saying making a definitive statement one way or another is probably not Can't do wise. Yeah. We're not going to get kicked off of EWTN <laughs> and Guadalupe Radio Network. But I will say this: uh, thank you so much, Grandpa Jeff, and Grandma Susan. Yeah. I'm going to say Grandpa Susan. That wouldn't have gone over well. Yeah. No, I'm, the two of you. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for following in uh, all of this, and uh, thank you for that interesting little theological, uh, little sort of side note into all of the. This on the seven sorrows of Mary. Let's continue on. We got the sixth sorrow of Mary. This is Jesus taken down from the cross. Yeah. So what's going on here, Sam? Well, so again, you know, our focus here with this show, with a series of shows, is to zero in on the things 
uh, that Mary likely witnessed and experienced herself. So that we can compassionate exactly what Mary went through and then apply that to our own lives. Exactly. Put ourselves in her shoes, but then also uh, help relate, draw upon our own lives to relate to uh, you know, our understandings of what she might have experienced. And, and so... As we all probably know at this point, um, immediately after Christ's death, there was a lot that happened. Um, so Matthew 27, 51 through 54. Let me, I'll read that for us real quick. Okay, please. And behold, the veil of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, rocks were split, tombs were opened, and the bodies of many saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming forth from their tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. The centurion and the men with them, with him, who were keeping watch over Jesus, feared greatly when they saw the earthquake and all that was happening. And they said, "Truly, this was the Son of God." Okay, and so that's a good, this is a nice correction for what we were talking about earlier. It wouldn't have been during the three days if she saw saw Joseph. It would have been after his resurrection. We see here with Matthew. It says uh, they they came forth from the tombs after Christ's resurrection, but still. Um, you know, so one thing there's obviously there's a, that's a lot happening in these moments, and we don't necessarily know what our blessed mother saw or didn't see. Uh, you know, as Jesus was being taken down from the cross, she might not have seen the veil in the temple get torn down. She she might not have seen the tombs of the saints open, uh, but she probably experienced the earthquake, the rock split. There's also uh, records that darkness had both fallen the earth. Um, all of this was a testament to who Jesus is. And this is after his death. So this is this is something that's very powerful, I think, um, because you know last week's show we talked about you know she would have as uh, would have being the Immaculata, being the spouse of the Holy Spirit, she would have been able to understand him as exercising his lordship over sin and death and process those moments within the context of conversations she had had with Jesus, uh, things that she's hearing in her heart based on her relationship with God as the spouse of the Holy Spirit. Um, but this is different because this is that was stuff that was happening when Jesus was still alive. So now this is stuff that's testifying to Jesus being Lord after he dies. Which, which, and I think like so, something that comes to mind is like within the saints, you could have a you could have somebody who has lived a whole life with a whole lifetime full of miracles that the Vatican had proven, right? And then that person dies. Guess what? There still need to be two post mortem miracles. In order for that person to be to become a saint, there isn't an ordinary path for a lifetime of pre-mortem miracles yeah. to satisfy that requirement. And so here we are; we're seeing in that same way Jesus's lordship being just announced loud and clear, testified to by the earth and, and nature itself. Yeah, the very core of creation testifies. To, to his lordship. Right. And this wasn't only uh, apparent to our blessed mother. You know, our, uh, you know, we can see from Matthew's account, the, it says the centurion and the men with him who were keeping watch over Jesus feel, feared greatly when they saw the earthquake and all that was happening. And they said, truly, this was the son of God. Understatement. <laughs> right. So, I mean, so like these men were Gentiles. They were not even Jews, but they understood that as they took all this stuff in that they were ready to declare Jesus to be Lord simply by the fact that the earth was trembling beneath his feet after the man died, the God man died. And so this testifies to them that Jesus is Lord. Mark has a little bit of a, uh, uh, there's a nuanced dif- distinction here in Mark's account of the centurion. In Mark's account of the story, it says when the centurion w- who stood facing him saw how he breathed his last, he said, 
truly this man was the son of God. Now, I, I think there's an argument to be made that this could relate back to what we were discussing last week, that Jesus was exercising his lordship over, over, over death. You know, no one takes my life from me, saith the Lord, right? I freely lay it down, he says in John 10. Well, Jesus literally commanded his own death, like we talked about last week, into your hands I commend my spirit. And so the centurion stood facing him and saw how he breathed his last. I understand why that centurion said, truly, this was the son of right. God. Um, and... Another thing, of course, uh, there's also John's account of the blood and water flowing from his. Right. And, uh, so that's John nineteen thirty one through 37. Um, Are you to read that for you? Sure, see. sure. Now, since it was preparation day, in order that the bodies might not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath day of that week was a solemn one, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs be broken and they be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and then of the other one who was crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one soldier thrust his lance into his side, and immediately blood and water flowed out. An eyewitness has testified, and his testimony is true. He knows that he is speaking the truth, so that you also may come to believe. For this happened so that the scripture passage might be fulfilled. Not a bone of it will be broken. And again, another passage says, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. Well, so, and again, we don't know how exactly how our Blessed Mother's spouse of the Holy Spirit, the Immaculata, processed that moment, uh, whether she fully understood at that moment the, the meaning of the blood and water pouring out, signifying Jesus fulfilling the prophecy of Ezekiel, or the other prophecies mentioned here, not a bo- bone of it will be uh, broken, and they'll look upon him who they have pierced. Um, but if anyone understood the fullness of that moment in that moment, it was her the Immaculata, the spouse of the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, some of our separated brothers and sisters might question this terminology that I'm using here. Um, you know, for example, the Immaculata, Luke in the original Greek, the, the way that the angel Gabriel, you know, uh, greeted her was to greet her as Kakeratomani, which is basically he said, hail to you who are, always have been, and always will be fully graced. And then, which is where we get... Hail Mary, full of grace. Right. Domene is that is that word that means having been graced. In other words, filled with grace. Right. Yeah. Well, and then also spouse of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that for someone who's out, you know, one of our separated brothers and sisters, that might sound like a surprising term I, to I use. E. Woodrow. Woodrow would probably not like that term. But we have to ask ourselves: like, did the Lord not descend upon her and make life within her womb? Uh, and and did Jesus himself not say nothing can separate what God has joined? Right. Um, so you know, one can decide whether or not they want to apply that term, but it's not a, a stretch to say that Mary had a very special relationship with the Holy Spirit, an unprecedented relationship. Yes, in, in with the Holy Spirit, they were close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's one of the beautiful mysteries, uh, beautiful gifts of our faith. Uh, this this idea that the the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. Yes. In this, in the by the way, the the, the Greek word from which that's translated um, is the same as the Hebrew that was used when it talked about uh, at the tent of meeting. Yeah. Where the the Ark of the Covenant was, that the cloud uh, overshadowed that tent of meeting and would be a a column of flame at night. But that overshadowed word is the same word that's used there and the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. And so, and so again, you know, we're not saying that she had a perfect understanding of everything in the moment because we don't know what she knew at the time, but 
all of this combined that we just stated combined with the years that she spent listening to Jesus, the private conversation she must have had. It's reasonable to think that she was processing these moments at a much higher level than anyone else who was there. More than me. I mean, essentially. I mean, I, I want to be honest, you know. More than us right now. Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not, and, and, I'm, and I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not trying to be glib here, but yeah. I think all of us have watched enough movies. Sure. Right? That we would go like, if there was like an earthquake right after I said something, you know, you'd right. go like, um, and we've all made that joke, like when somebody says something, there's like a bolt of lightning. Right. Sure. We all go like, I think God has just ratified what I, yeah. or is angry with me, whatever. And we see this connection between these uh, cataclysmic natural events. Right. Um, so even I would be able to recognize, okay, truly, this man was a son of God. Right. right? But Mary had this physiological relationship with this same son. Yes. And in a profound way definitely knew that all of this was connected. Well, and, and so at the very least, she she most certainly knew the lordship of Jesus. Yeah. She knew also, I think it's fair to say, his place as our sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God, and that all of this was on display even after his death. And it must have been powerful for her to see and witness, you know, awe-inspiring to see this testimony uh, to his lordship even after his death. Right. So, But the thing here is, though, you look at that and you go like, oh, okay. So she's she's happy. No. How, how How is this still sorrowful? Right. Well, yeah. Right. And here's the thing. Yeah, exactly. Because it doesn't make all of that is there and it's and it's a present to her in a big way. No question. But it's still her baby boy. Yeah. And it's still her baby boy that she consumed, uh, conceived in her womb by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, she had been told from this first sorrow that Jesus would be a sign that would be contradicted, leading the rise and fall of many, and that a sword would pierce her heart. So here, here we are in that moment. Her heart was pierced just as his heart was. He wasn't able to feel it, but she felt it fully. She felt it for him and herself and on behalf of all of us as she stepped into that role of mother of all. Uh, and, and, you know, I think that this is also there's another level of sorrow here. You know, when a loved one dies, especially after sorrowing, so after suffering, sometimes there is a, a, a peace that can accompany that knowledge that their suffering has ended. But it also is a moment, you know, when the reality of death can fully sink in. You know, like, think about it. On one hand, it had been really hard, you know, to see those nails go into his hands and feet. I can't imagine how hard and mm. heartbreaking that must have been for her to watch mm. him suffer in that way. But there's a special sort of pain, I have to think. To see it have no effect, no flinching, no wincing, no response when the nails are removed. I mean, the that's finality. Yeah, the finality. I mean, that's just a heavy dose of reality that I think all of us can relate to. You know, mm. seeing loved ones die, uh, just the you're just confronted with that absolute reality of death. Mm-hmm. Amen. And you know, nothing in my mind sums this up better than like when you when you go to St. Peter's Basilica and you walk in and you walk in and you look to your right. There's the Pieta, Michelangelo's uh, famous marble uh, sculpture. And, and there's a reason why it's famous, not just because Michelangelo did it. Yeah. I mean, it's a reason why maybe it has a certain value. But the reality is you can stand there and you can stare at that thing for hours. And in it, in that image with, with, with our Lord's body kind of sprawled out over her lap, mm. lifeless, and just like there's just no... Kind of draped. Yes, uh, it's just something beautiful about that, but something so utterly painful. Mm. And you can look in her face, and you see that sorrow. Well, think about what you just said. I mean, so like compare and connect that to Scripture. Jesus said 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. Mm-hmm. So th- this is life itself, lifeless in her arms. Mm-hmm. In this moment of hu- human history, mm-hmm. life itself yeah. is lifeless in her arms. Do you think she connected it at that point? Do you think she th- saw the resurrection coming? Well, I mean, he promised the resurrection, and if anyone was going to have faith in the resurrection, I think it would be, obviously, our Blessed Mother. She'd be in position to have that faith more than anybody else, but still, that doesn't make it any easier when confronted with how... It might make it easier to say that there that this, is, this isn't the end of the story, because all of us, I know I need to hear that my cro- every cross in my life is followed by a resurrection, mm-hmm. and that my pain isn't the end of the story. So, yes, I'm sure it, it would console her to an extent, but still, she is in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. Holding, oh the, yeah. This, I mean, this was once the baby that she held in her womb. I, I, this baby that she held in her arms. I, you know, this is joy itself. Not just mm-hmm. it's in addition to being life itself. It's joy itself. And let's remember, innocent, innocent, right? <laughs> right? I mean, so, so th- that part. I mean, so to answer your question, Tom, I, I imagine that her immaculate heart never doubted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but her immaculate heart also felt immense pain yeah you know and then and then uh, you know rationally how these things work i i don't know what she thought but i know it was painful because it has to be painful i mean when we experience a loved one dying we we can come to it with it with an unshakable faith have you experienced in the i have i have have, i have yeah i haven't lost a parent yeah or and haven't had a child so i haven't lost a child we've lost a parent yeah Mm. my my mom uh she died on the feast of uh, our lady guadalupe december 12th Mm. 2021 and uh yeah it was hard i mean it's just like what, what you go through and that whole thing about finality you know and we were watching i think we did a show afterwards because i just kind of wanted to get it out you know mm-hmm. but just the idea of looking at the little heart monitor and when it comes up and says asystole i mean that's when it's like you watch when it stops mm-hmm. at that moment and there's a finality there oh yeah right everyone in, in the movies it's always at that beep you know the the little flat line that you see on the little monitor mm-hmm. we didn't see that we saw asy mm-hmm. and uh, that tells you there's no more heart beating mm-hmm. right which is that's the end yeah right and there's there's a, I don't know, there's just all of a sudden this culmination of all these things, all the suffering and the pain that she's experienced recently, uh, and then, but then all the joyous moments early on in life, but then also the trials and tribulations early. It's just like this crashing together right. of all things. And trust me, I do not have an immaculate heart. I, I was not prepared for this journey by being immaculately conceived, mm-hmm. you know? And so I struggle like everybody else with sin and, and all the things that, that accompany it. Uh, but this moment, like, was a release for me, mm-hmm. and it was a it was a connection with eternity mm-hmm. that I just I didn't know that I was how to experience that, but I just did, mm-hmm. and I imagine that's what the Blessed Mother did to a certain degree. Rationally, may, she may not have known necessarily how to experience that, but she just she just did. Right, and you knew it wasn't a permanent goodbye, uh, but it's still goodbye for a time. And yeah. it's still a, uh, uh, it hurts. Yeah, but it, it was it was painful. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you experience anything like that? Oh yeah, My, it was our, ours was a lot different. Our father was actually killed. He was hit by a small pickup truck, and truck left him for dead. And happened on St. Patrick's Day. Oh goodness, his favorite day of the year. And uh, so the last time we got to see him was at the um, hospital, you know, on a table. And uh, it was it was very difficult. And he was already gone at that point. Oh, he was gone instantly. Gosh. Yeah, so we got the call, and he's gone. it was a very hurtful time. 
Yeah, all, I mean, we all experience uh, things like that, and, and everyone says they make that kind of glib remark like, we all got to go sometime. Oh, yeah. But the thing is, we, we still, my, when my brother passed away several years ago, it took me a long time to take him off my speed dial. I don't know why. Yeah. Because there's a part of me just kind of holding on to something like, well, maybe he's going to call. You know? Right. <laughs> well, you know, or, or this is obviously at a much different level, um, you know, but I can say, like, for example, uh, and I'm not comparing the loss of a dog to the loss of a parent or a human or anything like that. It's in a completely different space. But I'm just relating something from my own life. Mm-hmm. I had a dog where it was a part of my daily routine to feed him, to take him out and all that stuff. So on an hourly or every other hour, I had something to do with regard to that dog. And I was remind, it was ingrained in me, and so when he passed away, you know, a part of me wanted to just sort of let go and move on, but my it was ingrained in me. Oh, I'm supposed to go take him out. Oh, I can't do that. He's dead. Or I'm supposed mm. to feed him. Oh, I can't do that. He's dead. Right. And so it was just sort of I was constantly reminded by how ingrained it was in me, mm-hmm. the reality of. Uh, just how much he was a part of my life, mm-hmm. which means how much his death was overhanging my life. And this is a dog. So, I mean, if you're talking about then a parent or a child, that's on a level that I have not yet experienced. But, of course, I eventually will. And I don't look forward to it. Yeah. yeah and also there's other examples where how we can compassionate Mary's uh, sorrow in this moment with ourselves. I mean, there are times where we're separated from our kids. I think about uh, some recent school shootings where parents know that their kids are inside, mm. and there's police saying you can't go in, and mm. there's like this separation. Like I want to get there, right? And and even Mary uh, in her situation, um, you know, the scriptures tell us that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Uh, were taking him down off the cross that she she couldn't necessarily physically do that herself mm. so she's sort of like relying on others and there's this this other barrier between her and finally holding her son again mm. right finally be able to be reunited uh, with her son and that's that's something that uh, I, I think all of us can kind of like we experience uh, parents uh, loved ones uh, friends who are experiencing uh, terrible trauma or uh, some kind of illness in their life or whatever, where you want to be able to reach out and hold them, and you want to, you want to, you know, and you don't want them to, and and then you're separated by a physical barrier. Mm-hmm. How painful that is! Well, and when she took him into his arms, he was covered in blood. Right. So his blood, you know, if she held him, she was covered herself in his blood. most precious blood. So I mean, that's a very up close and personal moment and level that most people don't experience when they lose a loved one. Yeah. So this is a powerful, a powerful. Uh, uh, sorrow of Mary that we can really all kind of embrace in our lives and, and experience to to pray upon in this beautiful devotion of the seven sorrows of Mary. Uh, and so join us next time for the for the seventh sorrow of Mary. But until then, let's ask the Blessed Mother to to be with us in those times that we want to reach out and touch those that we love. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother, Mother of God, God pray, pray for us sinners, sinners now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.